In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, whose mercies are new unto us every morning, and who, though we have in no wise deserved thy goodness, dost abundantly provide for all of our wants of body and soul, give us, we pray thee, thy Holy Spirit, that we may heartily acknowledge thy merciful goodness toward us, give thanks for all thy benefits, and serve thee in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, thy beloved Son, our Lord. Amen. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thus far. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. For the first few days of last week, I attended an Atlantic District Pastoral Conference. More than 200 pastors were there on that historical event. Historical because it marked the last time that that group as such will assemble together because our present Atlantic District is awaiting its division into three smaller districts. Pastoral conferences, whether local, statewide, district-wide, are always times of particular delight and blessing to many of us because they provide opportunity for renewing cherished friendships, for being brought up to date on the latest happenings in the church at large. And I believe because they give each of us a chance to talk about the folks back home, give each of us an opportunity to say something about the people of God whom we are privileged to minister. And so often at these conferences, especially as the pastors walk to and from the business sessions, as they relax during the coffee breaks and at meals, a casual observer might very well get the impression that he's looking in on a convention of proud fathers, enthusiastically comparing notes about their families. As a point of interest, and I really believe that this should be said, and I hope you take it to heart and that you rejoice in it. Rarely do we hear a man speaking anything but good of his people, and this is as it should be. Rather, you hear them rejoicing in the people of God to whom they have been called. Now, it's sure knowledge among all of us that every congregation has its share of problems, frustrations, anxieties, shortcomings, failings, weaknesses, and all the rest. And I would be the first to say, unless someone here beat me to it, that St. Paul's of Albany is surely no exception to this. But for all of that, which is common to all of us, each of us realizes and believes that we have so much for which we should thank the Lord, and particularly in his people. 
Now, from the first time that the writings of the Apostle Paul really registered with me, and that goes back a few years at least, I've been impressed with him as a pastor and with his deep and abiding love and concern for the various congregations that he was privileged to serve. To my mind, Paul is the proverbial pastor's pastor in this and many respects, and certainly he is a model worthy of emulation for all of the weaknesses and shortcomings of his congregation. And I'm sure that they had their share too. Paul saw beyond this that they were people of God, recipients of God's grace and love, mercy and forgiveness, vessels, if you will, entrusted by God to be bearers of his precious word and sacraments for their generation and to pass these precious gifts and blessings of God along to those generations which would follow. Paul realized that these were not just any people. In just the same way that Peter addressed his remark to the Christian readers and hearers to whom he wrote one of his letters, that once in time past they were not a people, but now you are the people of God. In all the world, to me, there is no greater, no more distinctive or meaningful title than that which God himself bestows upon those who are his. My people, he calls them, and any discerning pastor is grateful that he sees them for this and he responds accordingly in thankfulness. And this is why I say this morning, from my heart. I thank God for you. One of the chief reasons for this, and I'm following really in the footsteps, we'll say, of other pastors before me, and even of the apostles who uttered these words, that at one time, before you were brought to faith in Jesus Christ, under the blessing and guidance of the Holy Spirit, it's true of you too, that you were not a people. You were no people. But then, by the grace of God, under his blessing, through the call of the gospel, through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, you too became the people of God. And I look to you in that way this morning and each time that I think of you. And so it's very significant that the great apostle Paul really begins his words to these beloved people of God by saying, I thank my God on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Christ Jesus. I say it's significant because what follows in the 16 chapters of that first letter to the Corinthians presents to us situation after situation, which on the surface, at least, might prompt people to say, what in the world does he find in these people that makes them worthy of his prayers and his praise? For example, Paul speaks of disunity within the congregation. He speaks of contentions among them. He presents to them the fact that fornication 
is common knowledge among them and people are not raising their voices. People are not trying to do anything to call it to a halt. Then he goes on and he says that there are false teachers among you. And many of you are being pulled one way and then the other, not knowing at times that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You have this weakness, this shallowness, this emptiness. On and on, situation after situation, Paul speaks in this letter to these serious problems which exist among them. He even speaks, too, of a shameful corruption of the Lord's Supper by some to the extent that they were reducing this sacrament to the level of an eating and drinking orgy. For all of this, Paul begins with a note of thanksgiving to God on behalf of the Corinthians. Perhaps in some ways the apostle sees himself in these people, recalling the time when with a vengeance he did all in his power to suppress and to eradicate the fledgling Christian church. And yet God, in his grace, chose this now humble, sincere, dedicated, grateful, self-proclaimed chief of sinners to be an ambassador for Christ, the apostle to the Gentiles. And this thought alone, on our part, helps us to derive a greater measure of appreciation for Paul's writing later elsewhere, who can know the mind of the Lord? Doesn't it make you wonder when you see those vessels of clay whom God chooses? Surely, if God would choose and use such an unlikely extremist as this man called Paul to be an instrument of his peace, he could likewise choose and use the Corinthians. In a sense, we could say that it isn't so much what a man is. After all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But more, what God in his grace and mercy makes of a man. And so Paul reminded the Corinthians that in everything you are enriched by him. In all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the emphasis is not on their worthiness, nor yet on their unworthiness, but on the grace and the blessing of Almighty God. Now, just as the psalmist has said, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And just as we have sung countless times, and we'll sing again this morning, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. So Paul could see in these members of the congregation at Corinth, men, women, and children who were touched by the hand of the Lord, people who were in their own right because they were people of God, blessings. For this Paul had no choice but to thank God on their behalf. And I say again, here was a pastor, a model pastor worthy of emulation. And so I look at the beloved congregation to which the Lord has called me and permitted me to serve these past several years. And I say from my heart, I thank God for you. It is as true for you as for the Corinthians as for any other congregation of people of God. God is faithful 
by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it is this blessing above all others imparted to you by a gracious and loving Heavenly Father who truly loves you beyond all that you could ask for, hope, or dream, which prompts me, no matter whatever else may be in the picture, to thank God for you. When I think of the sharp, tangible contrasts which exist between ours and many sister congregations, there is certainly ample cause for the giving of thanks. We have a very beautiful sanctuary and other beautiful, useful supporting facilities. We have a modest debt. We are frequently the recipients of generous bequests from the estates of departed members. We have all of these blessings. We thank God for them. We could say, as we look at the physical material blessings with which we are endowed, that we are really, as a congregation, very well off. We don't have to live hand to mouth as many congregations of God's people. We have sufficient income by the grace of God through his people. And so we are well off, but I would rather say than that, that we are richly blessed by the Lord. And my point in all of this is that I believe that if by some way these externals, these blessings which we see and feel and touch and experience would be taken away from us, for example, through fire or some other disaster common to man, I believe that still our greatest wealth, our greatest assets, our greatest blessings would remain intact, completely undisturbed. We have what I would call an inner indestructible wealth at St. Paul's, which manifests, shows itself through the people of God in this congregation. We have word and sacrament the vehicles whereby God the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and lives, strengthening us in our faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, enabling us, provoking us, compelling us to thank God for all that he has given us. And so I say again, we have beautiful buildings, magnificent structures of wood, stone, glass, brick. These are not inconsequential, but they are completely secondary to the living stones, you, the people of God, who have been placed here. And surely I would like to believe, and to a great extent I am able to believe this, that we have people of God here who are unlike some who were singled out in the Old Testament and of whom we are reminded People who cried out, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, in a manner signifying that their hope and their trust was in this sacred structure made by the hands of men. Now I look to people of God in this congregation, I say we know, we believe, we confess that our hope, our strength, our faith, is built solidly on the foundation who is Jesus Christ, 
our Lord and our Savior, established upon the Word of God, the living Word, which will ever remain even after heaven and earth shall pass away. As I thank God for you, because I believe God, through his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, has given you a tremendous spiritual potential to be a powerful influence for the gospel now and in the future. As I thank God for his abundant blessings upon each of you individually and upon our congregation as a whole, I also pray that each of you will be motivated by the Holy Spirit through the love of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, who died that you might live, that you would make the most of what you have to his glory and to your good. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.